Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. No icing. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Two-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this Sunday edition of the 617 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, coming to you live from Boston, Massachusetts. And much like every episode, we start with the most important 90 seconds of your day. Everything going on in the world of sports, not just Boston sports, but the world of sports uh, in 90 seconds. So to start off, we're going to go Major League Baseball announces its major awards. The American League Cy Young goes to Shane Bieber, voted in unanimously. MVP of the American League is Jose Abreu from the Chicago White Sox. Going to the National League, Trevor Bauer of the Cincinnati Reds wins his Cy Young Award. And the uh, MVP is Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves. Other Major League Baseball news, the Miami Marlins are the first team to hire a female general manager. Breaking the glass ceiling in the sport of baseball is Kim Ang from the Miami Marlins. She'll be calling the shots down in Miami. Going to the NBA, Celtics legend three-time Hall of Famer for broadcasting, coaching, and as a player, Tommy Heinsohn passed away earlier this week. It's a loss for the city of Boston and for the entire sport of basketball. Moving on, the NBA draft is only four days away. Yes, four days away, November, or three days away, sorry, at the time of recording this. Uh, Three days away, November 18th, Timberwolves have the number one pick, followed by the Golden State Warriors and the Charlotte Hornets are your top three picks. Uh, other NBA news, the uh, Golden State Warriors are trying to have 50% fan capacity. They built that brand new stadium. They didn't have a good season last year, and then everything happens with COVID. So they're trying to get as many fans into the stands in uh, Golden State as uh, they're p- planning to potentially test every fan that would attend before the game for COVID-19. They would test them day of and allow them to come into the arena. That's an interesting development to see if other teams go with that route going to the nhl there's not much news as far as a start date however there's potential division realignment for the 2021 season where uh, similar to how major league baseball kind of changed the way that the divisions were laid out the nhl has announced that they are looking into doing the same thing going into the nfl week 10 this week big ben is cleared to play from potentially having a coronavirus doing contract tracing he is cleared to play he's negative so expect big ben to be out there against the steelers as they take on the cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, for many fantasy football owners, uh, has done you wrong. He's been out for six weeks already this year. He's missing this week. After a great return last week, he is out. Uh, So no Christian McCaffrey for the Carolina Panthers as they take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Going to the PGA Tour, the Masters is this week. It's the greatest uh, weekend for golf right now as it comes in. DJ Dustin Johnson is leading at minus 17. Cameron Smith is minus 14, uh, as well as... SJM from South Korea. He is also minus 14. Tiger Woods, uh, because everyone needs to know what Tiger's doing, 
he came into the day minus five, but he is now minus four due to a bogey to start his round. A couple notable guys who missed the cut, uh, former U.S. Open champion Gary Woodland and uh, several major winner Jason Day missed the cut. So that's it for the most important 90 seconds of your day. That's Now we're going to go into some Boston sports. We will talk a little bit of the Masters towards the end of the program because I love golf, but I know not everyone loves golf, so uh, we'll, we'll do that at the end if you want to hang around for it. But I want to start with the Boston Celtics and with the passing of Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, as stated, Tommy Heinsohn was a three-time inductee into the NBA Hall of Fame. He did it as a player where he won multiple championships. He did it as a coach where he won multiple championships. And he was entered as a broadcaster uh, most recently where he even called championships uh, over the broadcast for the Boston Celtics. So Tommy Heinsohn is a legend. Uh, he is a part of all of the different championships. He was drafted in 1957. That's when the Celtics won their first championship, and he's been uh, a, a part of the, the uh, 17 championships that, that have been won by the Boston Celtics. He, uh, I only really grew up with him as an announcer. I never saw him, obviously, as a player. But I think it's interesting how almost every generation of Celtic fan has some connection to Tommy Heinsohn. Like I said, for me, it's, a, it's an announcer hearing him call games, uh, calling Isaiah Thomas the little guy, getting a, getting the crowd pumped up uh, at the TD Garden. You know, that, that's kind of how I know him. You know, other generations might know him as a coach where he was coaching championships and winning uh, in the 70s. And, you know, even going further back, if for some of the older Celtic fans, they, they remember him as a player. They remember him going out there with Bill Russell and, and winning, you know, all those championships, I believe 11 championships in like, you know, 13 years or something like that. So, you know, they, he, he touches all of the different fan bases, all of the different age groups. Um, and it's kind of remarkable. I don't think there'll be many three-time inductees into the NBA Hall of Fame. So Tommy is definitely uh, unique in that way. He, he was, it's a big loss for the city of Boston. He represented everything that Celtic basketball stands for. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Tommy Heinsohn. Um, definitely going to miss you doing the doing the games. But, um, you know, it's just a loss for the city of Boston. So I just wanted to start off start off with that kind of a, a solemn note. But uh, to, to continue with the Celtics a little bit, there's not much. Like I said, the draft is coming up in uh, about three days from now. So the Celtics do have a couple of draft picks. Um, we've known, we've, we've seen rather that they're willing to hold on to their draft picks. They continually have significant amounts of picks due to trades. You know, Danny Ainge is great at acquiring draft capital, uh, but it's about time we move on from that strategy. I don't think the Celtics need to use all three first-round picks that they have this year, uh, especially seeing as none of them fall within like the top ten. So the chances of of getting a really, you know, high-quality impact player isn't likely. And the Celtics don't need to get younger. They've got a lot of young talent that's trying to emerge. And I actually think the Celtics need some veterans on the team. You can't have Brad Wanamaker being the oldest player on the Celtics because he doesn't have the same level of experience that other veterans might do. So he's not a real veteran presence. He's he's very much uh, still growing as a player as well. So I look at um, the Celtics potentially needing to move on from these draft picks and trade them you know package them together try to get 
you know something out of them because you don't need three more rookies to play for the main red claws in the g league you need impact players now uh you know if you were um you know the the <laughs> new england patriots if you had three first round picks you'd be stoked and you'd say wow we're we're gonna use these great the the celtics and nba drafts they just don't work out that way you really only have five players maybe that are going to be high impact guys and then the rest of the of the picks aren't really going to be worth it um so like i said the celtics they, they've done great drafting you got guys like smart tatum and brown all through the draft but those were all top six picks uh, you know so what are you going to do with like the 20th overall pick you know i i couldn't couldn't tell you what uh who who they're looking at on the on the draft board i don't i don't follow college basketball that that much but anyways, Celtics do have a lot of picks with the draft coming up, and I'd really like to see them potentially package it, you know, maybe put the picks with Gordon Hayward and you send them to a team like Indiana that's shown a lot of interest. Um, maybe you try to get someone like a Miles Turner from them. Um, but in the rest of the NBA, there has been some trade rumors, uh, you know, Chris Paul and the Suns, or a deal to send Chris Paul to the Suns, rather. Seems like it it's in the works. Um, even the newly established Rockets general manager is committed to winning now but there's some whispers that maybe James Harden's on the move or Russell Westbrook's on the move Um, so we'll we'll definitely keep that keep an eye on that because Danny Ainge is willing to pull off big trades he does do it on draft night if you remember uh, when the Celtics were orchestrated their 2008 championship run I believe the trades that brought Ray Allen to uh, the Celtics was on draft night or close to it so so it's an interesting time of year. We'll obviously have free agency to follow, um, and you know, next episode we'll maybe talk about that more. So that's it for the Celtics. Just kind of wanted to give a little shout out to Tommy Heinsohn and and talk about the you know upcoming draft. And uh, it's short short analysis. Trade the picks. You have no reason to draft any young players right now. You've got young players. Uh, you need to move on. Get some young talent. I mean, get some veteran talent. You know, I look at like the Miami Heat, who previously beat you in the. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and I look at a guy like uh, Andre Iguodala, right? Won the championship with the um, Golden State Warriors. He was the Finals MVP during their first run, and you know that's a guy that is helping young players, you know, um, like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, like helping these young guys grow. Uh, can can bring championship level experience because that's what you need. You know, Jimmy Butler is a great great NBA player veteran doesn't have championship experience has never you know tasted the uh, NBA glory that comes from from winning the finals uh, you know so there's a difference between having just like a, a bona fide veteran on your team but having a championship veteran and I think the Celtics need to go get a championship veteran you know even they bring Kemba Walker in who's been in the league for who you know seven eight years or whatever and you know last year was his deepest playoff run I think he had only been to the playoffs like once or twice before, and I don't think he had even won a game. So, you know, again, there's a difference between veteran talent and championship-tested playoff, you know, uh, history and stuff like that. You know, those are the players that you need to go and try to find guys that can bring a winning culture into the locker room and help guys through. Hey, you know, I know what it's like to play in a Game 7 of the NBA Finals. You know, and no one on the Celtics has even played a single game in the NBA Finals. So, um short analysis of the draft uh don't waste a pick don't waste your time don't waste roster spots on draft picks go out and package them to acquire some maybe veteran talent it's weird you never really want to get older but in the celtics case that might be beneficial so 
that's it for the Celtics. Uh, R.I.P. Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, I want to move on to the Boston Red Sox because uh, Alex Cora had his formal uh, induction or his formal reintroduction to the team, his press conference. Uh, it took place middle of last week, and uh, it was at Fenway Park. It was definitely very different. Um, there wasn't the same amount of media hype and everything like that. It was through Zoom calls and people trying to like buzz themselves in and whatnot, but um, he's, he's done the tour uh, in the Boston media market since, since this um, press conference. He's, he's gone on talk radio and stuff, and I can say I wasn't sure how Alex Cora was going to sound. You're accused of being a key role in the biggest cheating scandal in baseball in the last hundred years. Uh, your reputation is tarnished. Uh, you've been fired from your job. You sent a, a you spent a year in suspension, having to watch. Granted, it was it was probably the best year you could ever have to serve suspension. I mean, coronavirus and the Red Sox suck. Like, you know, he kind of made out like a like a bandit in this. You know, it's like, hey, there's this deadly virus going around. Baseball is going to be crazy. We're going to be testing you out the wazoo. It's going to be horrible. Uh, it's only going to be sixty games. So you sit on your couch at home with your family, spend some time with them for a year. And then come right back in after this pandemic potentially could be, you know, a little bit more under control. So if you're ever going to get suspended, he picked the best time to get suspended. So, but but still, serves a suspension. Like I said, legacy is sort of changed. And I was wondering how accountable he was going to be. Would he just be one of these guys that says, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I want to move on, blah, 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 blah. Um, and the exact opposite's been the case. He's been extremely accountable. Uh, he's obviously not going to dive into detail about everything, but he doesn't hide from the tough questions. He's extremely um, understanding of how fans can feel about him coming back and certain people not wanting him here. And he's been very outspoken about uh, just how badly he feels about what he did, something that we haven't really heard from the Astros players themselves, right? You know, the, the guys who actually were benefiting from the cheating, the guys who were actually at the plate hearing the trash cans banging, knowing what was coming. You know, those guys have no remorse. But Alex Cora, who is just a bench coach, uh, is over here being extremely apologetic and everything like that. Uh, so good on Alex. Definitely the reintroduction that I wanted to see from him, but I, I was a little worried he might not uh, he might not be as accountable. I will say, too, one of the most important or the most impactful uh, quotes I grabbed from him was he was talking about you know coming back to Boston and everything that it means, and he said that he doesn't want this to be viewed as some great comeback story. That it was shameful for why he had to leave, and all he's going to do is try to spend the rest of his time to prove that he uh, deserves our trust again as fans and and as um, the sport of baseball. And that to me is very um, that 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 was different. That stuck out. You know, this isn't a great comeback story. Uh, you know. I guess like you see like certain players go through an injury and they come back and it's like this is a great comeback story uh, or someone gets sick maybe and has to step away from the team or you know has a tragedy in their family has to step away from the team or something like that you know those are great comeback stories Alex Cora got caught of cheating was fired from his job and then rehired so you know he's right it isn't a great comeback story and just to put that out there on the on the uh airwaves and just actually say that as himself i mean that's the that's the most accountable thing you can do so i give alex cora like i said a lot of credit he's handled it well and i think that if you're a red sox fan you know you should only feel better about where we're going to be 
in 2021 because Alex Cora is the type of manager that can motivate young guys. Uh, it seems like, you know, again, with the way that baseball is going analytically, he's able to understand the analytics but not let it completely, you know, destroy him uh, and, and run the entire show. He will have his gut feelings. Uh, I keep going back to the Tampa Bay Rays when they decide to pull you know, their MV, their Cy Young winning Blake Snell because, oh, we keep, the analytics say you can't pitch a second time around or a third time through the order, rather, and they pull him in Game 6 of the World Series. Alex Gore is not going to do that. So I'm glad that he's not this new age. He, he's, he's obviously a new age manager, but he's not so far into the statistics that he's going to let it cloud his judgment. So, again, you know, he's definitely the type of um, – the type of manager that's going to bring success. We've seen it here already. Uh, and and it, you should have a lot of confidence as a Red Sox fan that, again, we're not going to win the World Series this year, not with the way the roster is constructed. But I would be very, very surprised if certain players on the team don't actually have bounce-back years this year. So we'll see uh, with the Red Sox. Again, there's not much to talk about because games aren't being played in both the NBA. I mean, really, in, in any sport, there's not a lot of games because it's only baseball I mean, only football and um, and technically golf are going on right now, but you're not going to get hockey and, and basketball. So it's a little slow. These segments are definitely going to be shorter. But Alex Core had a great introduction, uh, reintroduction, so looking forward to seeing him back at Fenway Park. And uh, I just want to touch on the uh, introduction. Heim Bloom was answering questions about how did the process work. And to me, I just uh, I was really... Uh, you know, impressed with how honest he was that he was skeptical of Heim, of rehiring Alex. Um, it was kind of a courtesy phone call that he had to him. And then, you know, slowly but surely, Alex Cora was able to not convince him that he deserves the job, but just make a case for himself. And I think Alex Cora, if he was as accountable with the media when he was talking to Heim Bloom, then I completely understand why Heim was you know, sort of um, reconsidering Alex Cora because, you know, it seems like Alex has done everything to let people know that he is ashamed of what he did. And if you are high in bloom and you're making this courtesy call to the previous manager and, you know, haven't really had a lot of communication with him due to his suspension and you're just giving a phone call out, you know, and Alex is extremely accountable and extremely, you know, sorry for what he did, I, I mean, you know, man, it's hard to, to, to hang up on that guy and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to even consider you. So, you know, the whole process, everyone was making a big deal out of it. Was this Heim Bloom's decision? Was this John Henry or the ownership? Uh, and it seems like it was Heim Bloom's decision. It seems like Heim was honestly coming from a place of this isn't my guy. This isn't my head coach. I have no loyalty to him, right? I was in Tampa when they were winning the World Series here with him. And so for him to go through the process of calling him, reaching out, everything like that, and ultimately just choosing to rehire him, uh, this was 100% Heim Bloom's decision. I have no um, questions left about that. So hopefully uh, those ridiculous stories going around that there's some major tensions going on between ownership and, and Heim Bloom, hopefully those will fade away because it seems like this very much was Heim Bloom's decision. And... Uh, Interestingly enough, ownership wasn't at the meeting. I think that was a little weird, but granted, you know, with everything going on, why would John Henry Rana want to risk going to these meetings? He's got 
boatloads of money anyways so you know the a, a simple little press conference isn't worth him taking the risks of coronavirus i understand that so uh yeah that's it with the red Sox. uh and i want to jump i mean the, a bulk of this is going to be the nfl uh the patriots played on monday night last week uh, they play on sunday night tonight when the episode drops so uh going to talk a little bit about what happened in the jets game and maybe preview what to expect tonight so going into the game the patriots uh were you know i believe 10 point favorites uh against the jets last week that's probably the highest uh point spread that the patriots will benefit from this year potentially until we play the jets again because we're not very good but the jets are extremely not very good (laughs) um they suck they're 0-8 going into the game uh they were starting joe flacco so sam darnold wasn't even playing and uh everything was going the patriots way as far as you know getting uh getting some young talent acclimated to you know the the positioning i mean jacoby myers has really emerged as a stud uh, wide receiver i granted it was against the jets but uh, he had a very, very good game. He had 169 yards on 12 receptions. Damien Harris, your young running back, who's uh, also stepped up in the last couple of weeks, he had a pretty good game, 14 carries for 71 yards. Damien Harris was knocked out of the game. He got hit pretty hard, so uh, his 71 yards came only in, like I believe, the first three quarters. Uh, and quarterback Cam Newton was 27 for 35 and had 274 yards passing. So this was definitely Cam Newton's best passing game since week two uh, but again this was against the New York Jets and I just want to talk about the thought going into this game so go back to last Monday you know or a week ago last Sunday even before the game I don't think there was necessarily a scenario that could play out where I would feel significantly better about the Patriots following this game right because much like I said the Jets don't have their starting quarterback you know, they all they've done is just jettison talent, you know, Le'Veon Bell, who hasn't been great on Kansas City, but still, you know, they've they've let guys go throughout the year. They're trying to clearly lose games. They're 0-8. So I don't know if there was a scenario where all of a sudden I look at the Patriots, you know, Tuesday morning and say, oh, this is a playoff team again. Or, you know, even individually like, oh, like this guy's a real player because he beat the Jets. You know what I mean? Like it's the Jets. It's it's not a measuring stick game you know this week is a measuring stick game Baltimore tonight you know if the Patriots go and play very very well then that's a measuring stick game then all of a sudden I can say hey Jacoby Myers had 100 yards against a very very difficult passing defense for Baltimore okay now this kid can play you know in the week prior against the Buffalo Bills that was a measuring stick game you know these are uh the, the, those are the teams in the AFC that you're going to have to be beating on a consistent basis to compete for a playoff spot and compete for a, a championship. So, you know, the New York Jets are not the team that you need to, obviously you need to beat them, but they're not the challengers. They're underdogs. They always will be. Uh, so, like I said, you know, if the Patriots won by 40, I still don't think I would have been all rah-rah about the performance. You know, uh, I would have definitely said, Hey, this was against the Jets. Let's see what they do against the Ravens. That being said, with how poorly the Patriots looked, especially on certain aspects of the of the team, that goes to show me that maybe we really are far away 
you know, we've had a couple close games. Seattle was a close game. Buffalo was an extremely close game with Cam Newton fumbling uh, on the 15-yard line to win the game. Uh, so despite all of the losses that we've had, we've had a couple of close ones against some pretty good teams. This win was close against a bad team. Again, you came in as double-digit favorites, and you won on a last-second field goal that you didn't even deserve. I'm going to go into that a little bit on how the Jets threw this game. They, they, The Jets tried to lose. Don't, don't think the Patriots won. The Jets lost. I mean, 100% the Jets lost, and I'll get into that. But the fact that you didn't have any sort of answer for Joe Flacco, right? The guy was... 18 for 25, 262 yards, and three touchdowns with a pick. And you had Brashad Perryman, right, this, you know, wide receiver that was taken off the trash heap in the waiver wire. Uh, He had five catches, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. So I don't see how... uh, the Patriots, at least defensively, can feel good about this game. Like I said, Joe Flacco had more passing touchdowns in this single game against the Patriots than Cam Newton has had all year. That's that's a stat. That is 100% a factual statistic. Cam Newton's thrown two touchdowns all year. One game, Joe Flacco has three. And they're not even like... I mean, he's throwing bombs over you. And... You know, I understand it's, you know, Bill Belichick, oh, we're, we're focusing on Baltimore. We're, we're looking at the Ravens now. So he doesn't like to look back, but I'm going to spend a, a decent amount of time on this because, you know, this was a game that it was, like I said, you, you had nothing to gain, but you had everything to lose, at least as far as like a confidence level and, a, you know, as a fan reassuring you about the team. You didn't really have much to gain, but you had everything to lose. And I look at a guy like J.C. Jackson who got lit up he was falling, literally falling to the ground with these bombs flying over his head from Joe Flacco to Perriman. And that's supposed to be the cornerstone defensive player in your secondary going forward. You know, uh, Gilmore didn't play, but Gilmore's also probably out the door after this year. The McCourty twins didn't have a good game either, and they're also up there in age. You know, Chung had opted out. I don't even think he's ever going to come back. So J.C. Jackson has consistently been, um, you know, the guy that you've looked to to say you're the next, you know, defensive safety, I mean defensive back rather because he's a corner. You know, you're the defensive back that's going to take this team, uh, you know, going forward. You're going to be the lead guy, you know, in the secondary. And he was horrible. Granted, an interception, but... We'll talk about that later, but Joe Flacco threw up a threw, Joe Flacco tried to throw that interception. So again, that's conspiracy. We'll, we'll get to that. Trust me, it's going to be very interesting. But you know, he's a guy that if you're going to lose Gilmore, you need to know that he's going to be able to actually handle playing the best wide receiver on the other team, and he couldn't even handle Brandon Perriman, someone you might not have heard of if you're listening to this podcast. You might remember him from Baltimore. You might have never heard of him until Monday night, and. You know, uh, J.C. Jackson's out here making him look like he's Julio Jones. So, not not a uh, not a, a a reassuring game for the defense. You weren't you were not able to get any pressure on Joe Flacco. Uh, again, allowing 262 yards to a guy that 
is washed up, wasn't even the starter for this team. He's the backup. You know, I know the name still reminds you that he was an NFL Super Bowl MVP, but he is very much uh, washed up. And it, it again, it took a last-second field goal. You were down 27-17 going into the in the third quarter. I mean, that's just that's just pathetic. Into the fourth quarter, you were, it was 27-17. Uh, so your defense isn't able to stop far inferior offenses from scoring, um, and that's a problem. You're gonna you're gonna run into a lot of high powered offenses, you know, the rest of the way here, especially playing, um, you know, like Baltimore. You've got Arizona still on the schedule. You're gonna have to play um, the Miami Dolphins again, who have Tua Tagovailoa or whatever the hell you pronounce his last name. Um, I'm just going to call him Tua because that's easy. Uh, but, you know, that's a young quarterback that's emerging as a superstar, potentially. I mean, he, he beat Arizona. You've got Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm sure that Josh Allen might have a better game against you the second time around. So it's not going to be easy for the Patriots going forward. And it's not going to be easy for the Patriots in the AFC anymore. You know, you no longer have the best quarterback in the AFC. You know, you no longer have the best offensive weapons when you had guys like Rob Gronkowski you know so not only is everyone else getting better but your offense clearly isn't able to score at the same pace so you rely on your defense to mute the other team's offense and hopefully yours can score enough to hang in the game well your defense isn't able to do that and your offense isn't scoring so the Patriots are are bad on both sides of the ball and you know, again, this was a game against the Jets. You had everything to lose, and I think you lost it because the momentum going forward, anything like that. I know that, you know, seeing the ball go through the uprights, you were like, oh my God, the Patriots have won a game for the first time since like September. <laughs> and, you know, and I get that. They won, and there's a feeling of like, oh, maybe we're not bad, but you should have won by more points than that and in a much different fashion. It should have been dominating. It should have never been close. Joe Flacco, you could have picked him off four or five times, uh, you know, not having him throw for three touchdowns in 260 yards. And, you know, offensively, again, your bright spot is your wide receiver in Jacoby Myers and your running back in Damian Harris. Well, your running back gets hurt. He gets absolutely lit up. He's now dealing with a lot of chest injuries. He's probably questionable. I think he might even be ruled out for tonight's game. I'm not 100% sure on that. And then Jacoby Myers, great. He has 160 yards. Uh, he doesn't find the end zone. So Cam Newton still hasn't thrown for a touchdown pass since week uh, two, I believe, or week three. And you're now looking at, okay, Nikhil Harry was a bust and Julian Edelman's hurt. So while Jacoby Myers can go out there and carve up the New York Jets, Jacoby Myers shouldn't be your number one wide receiver. The guy was undrafted. So if, you're, if your biggest bright spot, your biggest bright spot is your number three wide receiver who's now been thrust into a one position but really isn't supposed to be there, uh, that's not really reassuring. And again, he, he had a great game. Uh, if you're a fantasy football player, maybe you go pick up Myers because clearly he's the, the main option going forward. But I'm not sure that the New York Jets is the team I want to see him 
light it up against. You know, tonight's the night. I'm going to hold off on criticizing or praising Jacoby Myers until tonight. Against Baltimore, with a mean defense and a great secondary that they have over in Baltimore, absolutely, um, you know, perfect game to see what Jacoby Myers is. The New York Jets isn't that. So even your bright spots, you kind of have to say, all right, put on the sunglasses because they're not as bright as we think they are. Um, and I want to get a one on, on on how the Jets lost this game. So as I said, 27-17 going into the fourth quarter. The Patriots down by 10 points need to try to claw their way back in the final frame. So they drive down the field. New England drives down the field, uh, gets around the red zone or so, and the Jets are able to stop them, hold them to a field goal. It was like fourth and two. Patriots trot out the field goal unit to make it uh, 27 to 20. The New York Jets get penalized for 12 men on the field. I don't know how that happens on a routine field goal defense. Like, you can have 12 men on the field when someone's, like, trying to run off the sidelines quickly after, like, a big play on offense and you know, we've seen Aaron Rodgers do it all the time. He's able to run up, snap the ball, and there's 12 men on the field. Okay, makes sense. You know, or, you know, something like that. But there's literally 12 guys lined up trying to block this field goal. It, it doesn't make sense. Like, that's more than just a, a stupid coaching error. That almost feels intentional because that gives the Patriots the first down. So now instead of having to kick a field goal, they're able to potentially score a touchdown, and that works out great for the Jets, right? The Jets trying to get to 0-9, why give up a field goal when you can give them the touchdown? And the Patriots still, even though the Jets give them this first down, see, this is where it was everything to lose, nothing to gain. The Jets give you a first down in the fourth quarter intentionally by lining up 12 guys, you know, pre-snap, and it's not like the coach is trying to call a timeout. Oh my God, there's 12 guys. I got to stop the clock, and the, he still gets penalized for it. Nope, it's just 12. They line up 12 guys. Adam Gase is on the sideline, like thumbs up, like way to go. Uh, we're gonna get flagged for this. It's gonna be great. They do, and you're still not able to score a touchdown. They give you a first down on a silver platter. You're right there. There's no excuse, and you still have to end up kicking a field goal due to a couple. I believe it was like a holding call that moved you back 10 yards or something like that, and and it goes on. So the Patriots kick a field goal despite the Jets wanting them to score a touchdown, and then Joe Flacco trots back onto the field. Patriots are down by a touchdown, and what does Joe Flacco do? Adam Gase, who does not call the offensive plays anymore for the New York Jets, says to Joe Flacco, I want you to throw the ball deep. It's the only play that Adam Gase calls the entire game. First down, up by seven points in the fourth quarter. And Joe Flacco throws the ball 50 yards down the field into double coverage and gets intercepted. That is blatantly trying to lose the game. Throwing a pick first down right you're supposed to everyone knows bleed the clock run the ball three times you still shave off like a couple minutes try to pick up a first down maybe you do like a quick slant or something but across the middle you don't need to throw it 50 yards in double coverage and 
It's the only call that Adam Gase makes the entire game? The only one? I mean, come on. Like, if I'm the NFL, I'm launching a full investigation into the New York Jets. Because you can't have teams trying to lose a game on purpose like that. I've said for the Patriots to tank. I've said for the Patriots to not put necessarily their best personnel on the field, but play their youngest personnel so you can give them experience. You might lose a couple games, but at least you know where you stand going forward with guys like a J.C. Jackson, like a Jacoby Myers, Jared Stidham, you know, these young guys who need to prove if they're going to be on your roster next year. Those are the guys that should be playing right now. So that's how you can kind of lose games without really like trying to lose games you play some young guys they're obviously not going to be groomed like veterans so you might lose a couple games that way and that's fine that's not throwing a game when you're calling into your quarterback to intentionally throw a, a bomb into double coverage you know when everyone and their mother knows you just need to start bleeding the clock out a little bit to win the game that's intentionally losing that's the integrity of the game is at stake. Uh, when it's fourth and two and you line up 12 guys to block a field goal, giving the other team a first down, you know, that's intentionally trying to lose the game. That's not tastefully tanking, I guess is the way to put it. That's not, you know, we're going to play all our young guys and we're going to, you know, shave salary and stuff like that and just have a lot of cap space. We're not going to go sign any free agents trading your best players away like they did with Le'Veon Bell and stuff that's fine like that's I'm okay with that I'm not okay with throwing a pick intentionally I'm not okay with giving a team a first down due to a stupid penalty intentionally that's like I said ruining the integrity of the game so not only that Patriots not only could you barely beat the Jets you couldn't beat the Jets when they were trying to lose or at least you couldn't beat them convincingly. You only won on a last-second field goal. So you did win the game. You know, congratulations, you won, you won, I'll give you that. Uh, but the Jets tried to lose this game, and that's the point. The Jets go out there, prove that they can score 27 points on your head. Joe Flacco slinging it like it's 2012 all over again. They can prove that they can do it to you, and then they just go radio dark, radio silence. They just go complete back to just making bonehead decisions like no that was i think the the jets sent a message to belichick and the patriots saying look you're not good like everybody knows you're not good anymore we just scored 27 points on you in the first three quarters we're still gonna lose this game because we want trevor lawrence and we want the number one overall draft pick but we need to show you that you're not good anymore and i think the bill i mean i think the bills did that I think the Miami Dolphins can do that to you. I'm very scared for that game. And the Jets did it to you. They said, you're not good. We're going to sling it all over you. We're going to make you look like fools. We're going to lose the game because it's in our best interest to have the number one pick. But you're not you're not who you think you are. And that was eye-opening to me. So uh, Patriots didn't do well. I want to kind of jump into tonight's game because I can only talk about the Jets for so long before I just start to... Uh, shake uncontrollably they they're a horrible team a horrible franchise and easily my least favorite team in the national football league so going into tonight's game sunday night football chris collinsworth al michaels will be at gillette stadium uh, and the patriots are seven point underdogs at home it's the largest uh 
point spread against them in a home game since 2001. So uncharted territories for the Patriots to be such big underdogs at home. And if you remember the last time the Patriots played at home, it was when Jimmy Garoppolo came in here and beat you like 33-6. to So the Patriots don't give me any reason to have uh, confidence that they're going to be able to win this game. And the only the only way the Patriots even even potentially have a chance is if they can stop the run. The Baltimore Ravens rush for something like 170 yards a game. Uh, that's definitely feasible when you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson who would much rather run the ball than throw it. Uh, he won an MVP. I'm not gonna not gonna question his talent and his greatness. I don't know how sustainable this form of quarterback play is, but regardless, they're going to run all over you at every position, uh, including the quarterback. So I don't know if you're the Patriots, what do you do to stop the run? You couldn't really stop it against Buffalo. And Buffalo had a horrible run attack going into that game. Then you kind of play for the run against the Jets, and they sling the ball all over you thrown for 260 yards three touchdowns and now you've got this game against the uh, against the Ravens where they're coming in they're a run heavy team they could also pass all over you it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if you know coach Harbaugh draws up a, a game plan where Lamar Jackson's throwing it for 300 yards like it, it just seems like the Patriots are too predictable on defense now like, we know they run the ball well. We're going to try to stop the run, and I think that there's a chance that the Ravens kind of play into that and start passing all over you. Clearly, if Joe Flacco can throw the ball all over you, anybody can. Like, I, I have no confidence that if Lamar, jo- if Lamar Jackson tried to throw all over the Patriots, we would be able to stop him. You know, he hasn't had a great season this year. He's a little bit... Uh, regressing from his MVP you know season last year but you can't expect a guy to continue to play at that level uh, he, he actually has you know kind of similar passing numbers to Cam Newton uh, he's got 1,513 passing yards 12 touchdowns four picks Cam Newton's got 1,417 yards obviously the two touchdowns and the seven interceptions so Lamar Jackson's better at throwing touchdowns and he protects the ball more but as far as their aerial attack goes uh, Lamar Jackson's only got 100 yards on Cam Newton. And if you remember, Cam Newton missed a game because of COVID. So they're probably right around the same guys. I mean, uh, Cam Newton, for everything that he hasn't been as a passer, it seems like Lamar Jackson's facing the same issues. Uh, and he makes up for it with his rushing, though. Lamar Jackson's got 469 rushing yards on the season with three touchdowns. So you're clearly getting a extremely run-centric quarterback. But I'm going to predict that this game, Lamar Jackson throws for more yards than he has all season long. That's, that's my prediction. I think that, you know, the Patriots are going to come in with a game plan centered around stopping the run. And that's exactly what you know, Coach Harbaugh is going to want them to do. He's going to be able to kind of come up with some schemes because they've got good tight ends. You know, they don't have um, the best 
I mean, they've got Hollywood Brown as a wide receiver, the only guy drafted ahead of, um, you know, Nikhil Harry. But I, I just I see. I, I see their tight ends being able to kind of go up the middle of the field. The Patriots don't have a lot of great linebackers who can cover tight ends. And Hollywood Brown's a speedster who, uh, again, you know, with the way J.C. Jackson looked against Brashad Perryman, uh, I've got all the confidence in the world that Hollywood Brown will be able to get whatever he wants. And like I said, it's going to be, I predict it's going to be Lamar Jackson's highest passing yards total this season. Uh, and he would need to throw for 276 yards to do that because week one against Cleveland, he had 275 yards. So book it book it right now. Lamar Jackson will throw for 275 yards at a minimum, and the Patriots will lose well over their seven-point underdogs. It'll be 10 or 15 points easily um, because I don't see Cam Newton. Look, you know, Cam Newton played pretty well last week. He threw for his... Like I said, his highest passing yards since week two, that was against the New York Jets. The the uh, Ravens are a different kind of defense. They're one of the best defenses in the National Football League in a year where defenses are actually kind of down. You know, that's a different conversation for another day. But the whole idea of like a uh, elite, elite defense doesn't really seem to exist anymore. Um, but the... You know, the, the Baltimore Ravens are really good. I mean, I have them in fantasy football. They're the second-highest scoring defense in the league. So, you know, granted, fantasy football doesn't always translate onto real football, but they're pretty uh, pretty good. The The likes of Jacoby Myers, Demir Bird, they're going to have some trouble getting open. Uh, like I said, Damian Harris banged up, so I'm not sure if he'll be as effective in the run game, and that's going to put a lot of the pressure on Cam Newton to, you know, make the right read, extremely accurate with his passes, extend plays everything that you know he was able to do for carolina in the you know in the mvp season that he had with them and the all the things that you think of cam newton as a passer at his absolute best that's what the patriots need going into this game and i'm not sure they're going to get that from him so it could be pretty ugly this could be the game where you realize that you know this is killing the season it's you know if you lose this game and you're three and six or whatever you know there's no way you have any chance of making the playoffs I already think the playoffs are out of the picture anyways, but if you're a fan that's still holding the faith, wouldn't count on it this week to uh, to have that have those playoff admirations continue. This is going to be pretty ugly, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, and I think the Ravens have a big vendetta against the Patriots. You know, Harbaugh doesn't like Belichick, and there's been some feuds there in the past, so I wouldn't be surprised if Harbaugh shows no mercy tonight, no mercy whatsoever. So that's it with the... with the Patriots um you you won by three points against the Jets who tried to lose the game and you're about to get absolutely smacked at home by the Baltimore Ravens on national television like how this game wasn't flexed out for a different one is mind-boggling maybe they're not trying to flex as many games or it's not at that point in the season where you can flex um Sunday night games but there is a ton of other games on this weekend that I think you could have put in the you know the the spotlight of Sunday night football. Bills Cardinals 4 405 so it's not the you know game of the week at 425 it's just a 405 game. You could have convinced me the 7 and 2 Bills against the 5 and 3 Cardinals would be a great game. I'm going to watch that game later on today. So give me that on Sunday night football. 
Uh, give me Seahawks Rams on Sunday Night Football. Give me Bengals Steelers. Steelers are eight and zero. Bengals have Joe Burrow. Put that on Sunday Night Football. Uh, but I don't need to watch the Patriots get absolutely ethered by <laughs> Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens on national TV. But I think that's you know clearly uh, NBC decided not to flex again. Like I said, I don't know if they can flex how early they can and with COVID maybe they're trying not to flex but either way this this isn't the Sunday night matchup that we thought it was going to be uh, kind of like it was last year I think we played them on Sunday night football and that was actually the game where the Patriots were 8-0 and going in and it was the first time that they played a real defense I mean they the first time that the defense had to play a real offense and they got exposed by Lamar Jackson and that was sort of Lamar Jackson's I'm here moment I'm the MVP moment was when he dismantled the Patriots. That's probably going to happen again tonight. So moving on to the Masters, because uh, the Patriots are, you know, they're not the team that we've known them to be for the last 20 years. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about the Masters. It's probably the only time I'll talk about golf uh, besides maybe the the Masters next year. (laughs) Um, But I love golf. Uh, I understand that not many people do or at least if you like golf you don't really like watching it but I'm someone that can watch it plays it uh, everything golf and this is a special special weekend the Masters is the greatest sporting event that mankind has put together it's better than the Super Bowl it's better than the World Series it's better than any boxing match or MMA fight it's a it's four days and the most beautiful, serene golf course, Augusta National. Uh, the the ambiance of history, you know, legacy. It's it's the greatest weekend in golf. It's the greatest weekend in sports. Uh, just the fact that you don't win a trophy, but you win a green jacket. You win like a suit jacket. I mean, that come on. That's cool. No other. What else do you win an article of clothing besides maybe a championship ring? But I mean, you know, and then the whole, you know, if you win, you're allowed to play there every year for the rest of your life. You don't need to keep your PGA professional card. You know, you can play at the Masters every year. Again, just the fact that it's at the same venue every year. You know, all of the other uh, major championships in golf. Again, I'm not sure how many people listening to this really enjoy golf, but. You know, the U.S. Open always travels around. It's been at Winged Foot, Whistling Straits, um, you know, Pebble Beach. The PGA Championship also changes around. And, you know, the Open over across the pond in the United Kingdom will go from St. Andrews and, um, you know, all the all the different, you know, Irish, English golf courses. So the Masters is at Augusta National every year. It's this, like I said, it's there's history there. You know, for certain guys, winning the Masters is the highlight of their career. It's the best thing you can do. It, it is their Super Bowl. Like I said, it's the, I'd rather win the Masters than win anything else in sports. I'd rather win the Masters than win a Super Bowl, an NBA Finals, you know, heavyweight champion of the world, whatever. I just, I'd rather win the Masters. Um, and last year, Tiger Woods won uh, in dramatic fashion. It was his comeback moment. Um, you know, everything that Tiger's gone through in his personal life and his injuries and everything like that, for him to once again 
claim the the green jacket, you know, placing him even closer towards chasing the Golden Bears record, um, chasing Jack. You know, Tiger, Tiger is one of the greatest golfers, one of the greatest athletes uh, in modern history. So watching that was very special. And Dustin Johnson looks like he's going to be winning, potentially winning this year. He's 17 under when this episode's getting recorded. Uh, he's another guy that's had a lot of issues in his life with drugs and, you know, actually getting kicked off the tour for a while. Um, you know, he seems like he's put his life back together, and, and it would be a great story. He's he's won a lot. He's one of the best golfers in the world. I like Dustin Johnson a lot. Um, you know, I, I personally, I'm a Brooks Kepka guy. I like Kepka. I really like um, Ricky Fowler, and Tiger Woods is my all-time favorite. But Dustin Johnson's great. Uh, he's, you know, he's a tailor-made guy. Tailor-made Adidas guy is one of those uh, partnerships. So uh, he uses that spider putter from TaylorMade. It's ugly as sin, but it works well. I've putted with it a couple times myself. I'm always loyal to Scotty Cameron, but, you know, I give Dustin Johnson a lot of credit. Like I said, he put his life back together. He's he's unbelievable. He's been one of the, you know, biggest hitters on tour with his driver but he's really refined his short game. His putting is through the roof, and that's why he, you know, tied um, Spieth's record for, you know, lowest 54-hole total uh, after the first three days. Um, so, again, if you're not a big golf fan, I don't want to bore you, but this is a very special weekend, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can get back to playing the, the Masters in April when it, where it belongs. But, um, you know, just a, an unbelievable golf tournament. Uh, hopefully... Hopefully, uh, we're able to get back to some normalcy. Hopefully, patrons can, can can go. I'd always love to go down there. I've never been, but it's on my bucket list to to watch at least at least a round of the Masters. I don't need to be there for Sunday prime time, but just to be down there, just to walk the walk the course and smell the magnolias and the pines and see where some of the biggest golf shots in history have happened from Mickelson's you know, hit from the, uh, from the pine straws and, you know, that memorable tiger chip down at, um, was it 15 or 16 where he just rolls it in, uh, definitely want to go see Amen Corner and the, the famous bridge and everything like that. I mean, it's a beautiful golf course. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google pictures of it. Uh, if you're a, if you're a golf fan, you know, just how, how important and special this weekend is for the sport. So that'll do it for this episode of the 617 Sports Podcast. Um, you know, no Bruins talk, NHL still dragging their feet on getting things going. So, you know, do a do a little bit of a draft breakdown, probably next episode, see what the Celtics did, see who went number one and everything like that. But getting into the uh getting into the winter, it's gonna kinda slow down here. Like I said, we really only have the Patriots on and they're not playing very good, so it's kinda hard to fill fill the air with some time, but hopefully you enjoy the the, the breakdowns and the analysis and once we get some games coming, like I said, we're about uh, about a month, about six weeks from the NBA starting up again, starting on December twenty second. So we'll get some we'll get some basketball to talk about. But rest in peace, Tommy Heinsohn, and um, check us out on Twitter. Six one seven Inquirer is the handle. We have a website where I write just a couple of thoughts and about Patriots games and hopefully Red Sox and everything coming forward that's 
blog.wordpress or something like that. I don't know. You can always find it on the Twitter page. But thanks, you guys, for listening, and uh, enjoy your weekend.